the blessing after meals. And I think that we tend to forget that there's a lot more than just one. There's the blessing after meals, there's the blessing for Jerusalem, there's the blessing for what else we got? Nourishment. Nourishment. Now we got that. The land, God. I mean, it's all kinds of uh, lovely stuff. So, at any rate, um, we're going to, from now on, go through all of those blessings after nourishment uh, or all of those birkat um, from now on. So, start there. Hello. And uh, you didn't memorize it? Sorry. Sorry about that. Just in case. There goes my high esteem of you. Holy cow. So, we're on, um, we're on page 13 on the left hand side. Um, you might want to mention that we only go through 21. In case we're only going to go through 21, just so you know, because. Um, it's 100 pages. <laughs> Yeah, so, it, I mean, you'll, you'll see. We'll, we'll do it together. It's, it's so not that bad. I was, I was worried. Yeah, yeah, don't be worried. Don't be worried. Um, but the neat part is, I, I want you to pay attention, because at, at one point here, uh, we're going to stop, and you guys continue on your own, because you get the opportunity to bless my wife and I, because we're hosts, and then um, well, I get to bless my kids. I mean, it's, it's just cool stuff, so let's just do it here. So, um, because it's Shabbat, we're not going to do the first paragraph on the left. We're going to do a little paragraph on the right. That delightful sound is my granddaughter. Isn't it delightful? It is. Do we have enough men? How many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We are, we are there. All right. Together with me, a song of ascent. When Adam and I will return the captivity of Zion, we will be like dreamers. Then our mouth will be filled with laughter and our tongue with glad song. Then we will declare among the nations, Adonai has done greatly in peace. Adonai has done greatly with us. We were glad. O Adonai, return our captivity like springs in the desert. Those who cheerfully sow will reap in glad song. He who bears the measure of seeds walks along leaving, but we will return in exaltation of air of his sheaths. Now you'll find after a couple of weeks of doing this, when you finally get a handle on it, we're actually going to sing that one, because we'll sing a few of them. But we're not singing today. Together, may my mouth declare the praise of Adonai, and all flesh bless his holy name forever. We will bless God from this time and forever. Hallelujah. We give thanks to Adonai, for he is good. His kindness endures forever. Who can express the mighty acts of Adonai? Who can declare all his praise? Behold, I am prepared and ready to adorn the positive commandment of your God on his own. For it is said, and you shall eat, and you shall satisfy, and you shall bless Adonai your God for the good land which he gave you. Gentlemen, let us bless. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. And I got ten men, right? Yes. With the permission of the distinguished people present, let us bless our God, he of whose we have eaten. Blessed is our God, he of whose we have eaten, and through whose goodness we live. Blessed is our God, he of whose we have eaten, and through whose goodness we live. Blessed is he, and blessed is his name. Blessed be you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who nourishes the entire world in his goodness, with grace, with kindness, and with mercy. He gives nourishment to all flesh, for kindness is eternal. And through his great goodness we have never lacked, and we may never lack nourishment for all eternity. For the sake of his great name, as we see our God, who nourishes and sustains all, and benefits all, and he prepares food for all of his creatures that he has created. And as he said, you in your hands, satisfied the desire of every living thing. Blessed are you, Adonai, who nourishes all. We thank you, Adonai, our God, because you have given to our forefathers as a heritage and desirable good in a spacious land, because you removed us, Adonai, our God, from the land of Egypt, and you redeemed us from the house of bondage. For your covenant that you sealed in our flesh, for your Torah that you taught us, and for your statutes that you made known to us, for life, grace, and loving kindness that you granted us, and for the provision of food with which you nourish and sustain us constantly, in every day, in every season, and in every Next page. For, for all, let an iron God, we thank you and bless you. May your name be blessed by the mouth of all the living continuously for all eternity. As it is written, and you shall eat, and you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless that an iron God for the good land that he gave you. Blessed are you, an iron for land and for the nourishment. Have mercy, we beg you, an iron God, on Israel, your people, on Jerusalem, your city. 
on Zion, the resting place of your glory, on the monarchy of the house of David, your anointed, and on the great and holy house upon which your name was called. Our God and our Father, tend us, nourish us, sustain us, support us, relieve us. Let an our God, and grant us speedy relief from all our troubles. Please make us not needful, Adonai our God, but the gifts of human hands or of their loans, that only in their hands is the soul open, holy, and generous, that we not feel inner shame nor be humiliated forever and ever. Next paragraph. May it please you, Adonai our God, give us rest through your commandments and through the commandment of the seventh day, this great and holy Sabbath. For this day is great and holy before you to rest on it and to be content on it in love, as ordained by your will. May it be your will, Adonai, our God, that we be in distress, grief, or lament on this day of our contentment, and to show us, Adonai, our God, the consolation of Zion in your city, and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the city of your holiness. For you are the master of salvations and the master of consolations. At the bottom, we rebuild Jerusalem, the holy city, soon in our days. Blessed are you, Adonai, who rebuilds Jerusalem in his mercy. Amen. On the next page at the top. <laughs> Blessed are you, God, and I, our God, King of the universe, the Almighty, our Father, our King, our Sovereign, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Maker, our Holy One, Holy One of Jacob, our Shepherd, the Shepherd of Israel, the King who is good and does good for all. For every single day He did good, He does good, and He will do good to us. He was bountiful with us, He is bountiful with us, and He will forever be bountiful with us. With grace and with kindness and with mercy, with relief, salvation, success, blessing, help, consolation, sustenance, support, mercy, life, peace, and all good, and all good things that can never drive us. Peter, will you announce the compassion? The compassionate one. May He reign over us forever. The compassionate one. May He be blessed in heaven and on earth. The compassionate one. May he be praised throughout all generations. May he be glorified through us forever to the ultimate ends and be honored through us forever and for all eternity. The compassionate one. May he sustain us in honor. The compassionate one. May he break the yoke of oppression from our necks and guide us direct to our land. The compassionate one. May he send us abundant blessings in his house and upon his stable. The compassionate one. May he send us alive to the prophet he is remembered for good, to proclaim to us good tidings, salvations, and consolations. This is you. May it be God's will that the souls not be shamed or humiliated in this world or in the world to come. May he be successful in all his dealings. May his dealings be successful and conveniently close at hand. May no evil covenant reign over his handiwork. And may no semblance of sin or iniquitous thought attach itself to him from this time and forever. From your mouth to God's ears. The next paragraph. The compassionate one may he bless my father, my master of his house, and my mother, the lady of his house, them, their house, their family, and all that is theirs. I'm not sure they intend for there to be children as well as guests at the same time. The compassionate one may he bless my wife and my children and all that is mine. Ours and all that is ours, just as our forefathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were blessed in everything, from everything, with everything. So may he bless us all together with a perfect blessing. And let us say, Amen. Um, on the next page at the top. <laughs> on high we inherit you plead upon them and upon us for a safeguard of peace. May we receive a blessing from Adonai and just kindness from the God of our salvation. And find favor and good understanding in the eyes of God and man. The compassionate one may he cause us to inherit the day that will be completely a Sabbath and rest for eternal life. The compassionate one may he make us worthy of the days of Messiah Yeshua and the life of the world to come. He, he who is a tower of salvation to his king and does the kindness for his anointed to be able to his sins forever. You make peace in his heights, may he make peace upon us and upon all Israel. Now we respond, Amen. Fear Adonai, you, his holy ones, for there is no deprivation for his reverent ones. Young lions may want to hunger, but those who seek Adonai will not lack any good. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good. His kindness endures forever. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, and Adonai will be his security. I was a youth and also of age, and I had not seen a righteous man forsaken, with his children begging for bread. Adonai will give light to his people. Adonai will bless his people with peace. Amen. Now that's blessing God and thanking Him. Woo! Pass those all around to... Jonathan, please. Yes. 
She stayed. She stayed for blessing. That's cool. Shabbat shalom. I just turned. I just turned the AC up, so uh, we're down. I made it cooler, so it's getting cooler. Okay. Um, this is a new book out from uh, Vine of David, The Concealed Light, Names of Messiah in Jewish Sources. And it is really pretty cool. And you will love it. You can look at it when we're done, but you can't take it with you. It is a really very, um, very nice book. Uh, we have a double portion uh, this week. Tazria and Metzora. The 27th and 28th portions of 5772. How many portions are there? How many portions are there in a year? 54. 54. Okay. And we don't skip any, we don't put any together until after Pesach. So when we start at Sukkot, we start our, our, our reading again. We, we just got single ones until after Pesach, and here we are. And then if you need more detail on which ones get munched together and which ones don't on a leap year, uh, see Rick Spurlock. Because he's a master at it. I mean, he made a, a calendar that actually computes it for you. Uh, today is the 21st day of the Omer. How many of you have been counting? How many of you haven't missed a day? Sometimes it was on the day, not the evening. But right. And when you do it on the day and not the evening, do you do the blessing? No. You shouldn't do the blessing. If you miss the, the blessing and the count on any day, you don't get to count anymore. Crummy. So don't skip any days. Are we doing the gospel? We're going to do the gospel. The next holiday coming up is Lagba Omer, the 33rd day, where we have the yard side of... I'm sorry? is actually before Lagba. Oh, is it? Okay. Um, yeah, because... It's next week, uh, or right after that. May 6th is Pesach Shani. That's the next holiday coming up. And um, Lagba Omer, the 33rd day of the Omer, is the day that we commemorate the yard site of, is it uh, Yochanan ben Zakai? Yes. And uh, much of Israel is in mourning for the 24,000 uh, disciples of Rabbi Akiva, who died uh, during the counting of the Omer. Shimon Shimon ben Yochanan? Yes. Not, not, no, Yochanan not, not, not the guy that came out. Right. It was late. That works. We'll figure it out when we get to the 33rd day. Uh, so Pesach Shani, what's that all about? Why, why is it important? Why am I asking this? Pesach Shani, second, second Passover. If you were unable to keep Passover on, at its regular stated time because you were ritually unclean for various reasons, then... God in his mercy and grace provided us an opportunity to still keep the Passover 30 days later. Exactly. Who are the two most notable and, and uh, well-known guys that participated in Pesach Shane? And they were rendered ritually unclean because they held the master's dead body. That will do it every time. Um, it's, a, it's a cool deal. Um, if you are richly unclean because of coming in contact with death, um, you can't go into the temple. You can't have. You can't eat the Passover. Now we can't eat the Passover now because we can't sacrifice the Passover in the first place. Um, but it is something to think about. The sages say that everyone on the planet right now is ritually unclean. We've all come in contact with death in some way, shape, or form, somehow, some way in our lifetimes. We're all ritually unclean due to death. Well, if that's true. Who of all people should be keeping Pesach Shani? Everyone would think. It's kind of neat because the rules about keeping Pesach Shani and being unclean, there are no rules. It doesn't say anything about you've got to be unclean for that one too. It's implied, but it doesn't say that. So, At any rate, um, I bring up Pesach Shani because uh, there's two ways to get that kind of ritual defilement. Um, one was coming in contact with death. Another was coming in contact with a walking death, which is tarat, or what's translated incorrectly as leprosy, right? And if you did that, then, then you had that, and you had to go through that whole deal. Um, do we know anyone that came in contact with a leprous person at any point in his life? 
on a regular basis. Uh, in fact, we're going to be looking in the apostolic scriptures and seeing an example of that in just a second. Um, so we're, we're going to switch things up from now until Rosh Hashanah. And instead of starting with the portion for the week and diving into it as the sages would and looking for those uh, things of Messiah uh, and then kind of tacking on the apostolic scriptures on the back end, if we get time, we're going to flip that on its head for this half of the year. And we're going to start in the apostolic scriptures and read that and why the Flame Foundation chose that particular passage or passages. And then we're going to have it draw us back into the, the portion uh, and the um, and the prophet reading. Okay, so that may throw you off for a little bit, but I'm confident we're we're going to get back to the portion quite well. So, are, there, are you all familiar with Flame Foundation and what that's all about? Okay, so Flame Foundation had two um, of the. Um, yeah, we are now. Yeah, you are now. You. Um, they had two readings. Uh, we're going to just do the first one right now. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 35. If you only came with the Tanakh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sure there's apostolic writings over there you can borrow, but I will read it out loud because I, I only prepared a couple of key players like my family to know that we were going to do this. So, Luke chapter 7. <laughs> well, you wrote. I had to write back. <laughs> Luke chapter 7, we pick up in verse 18 and go to 35. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. Another thing that we're going to have to deal with is the use of electronic devices on Shabbat. I don't think I can do that. The disciples of Yochanan reported all these things to him, and Yochanan, calling two of his Talmudim to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? I love that. I just, I just enjoy the fact that he wasn't sure at this point. I've had a lot of times in my life when I wasn't sure either, but like John... I just lost my head for the Lord. (laughs) Luke 7, verse 20. And when the men... Some people just got that. (laughs) And when the men had come to him, they said, Yochanan Hamakvil, that's John the Jew, actually, um, has sent us to you saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell Yochanan what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, hmm, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When Yochanan's messengers had gone, Yeshua began to speak to the crowds concerning Yochanan. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A Navi? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a Navi, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, Kine, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. That from I going? 35? I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than Yochanan. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Verse 31. To what end shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you. You didn't dance. We sang a dirge. You didn't weep. For Yochanan Hamakvil has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he's a demon. Son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Okay. So why did Flame Foundation choose this particular passage? He's got the lepers class, you bet. And he uses it as a sign. If you've got a cross-reference Bible, you're, you're diving into the prophets and the writings uh, in this uh, particular passage that the Master uses as he's picking um, these signs that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And I would say even further that he is the Son of Man. 
and the Son of Man being determined for his divinity. Absolutely. Because when when he says um, where did it go here? When he says the blind see the um, particularly the blind see the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. That's a specific allusion to Moses and, and the conversation he has with Hashem at the burning bush. Because if you recall the story, uh, you know, Moses is sort of arguing with God about why he can't be the guy to go do this. My and, brother my brother talks a lot better than I do. Right. And one of the signs, one of the signs, if you remember the account, Hashem tells Moses, put your hand to your bosom, he does, pulls it out, and it's leprous. And then puts his hand back in, pulls it out again, and it's clean. As to say, as if to say, I'm God, and I can make you leprous, and I can heal you from leprosy. Then as the conversation continues, if you recall, Moses continues to try to talk God out of this, because he said, look, I, you know, I, I, I can't talk very well, I'm not good at public speaking, I get nervous, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and God says something to him in that conversation. He says, wait a minute, who formed the, the mouth and, uh, and allows it to speak? Who, who created the eye and allows it to see? I'm paraphrasing, but, you, but... And so when Yeshua here tells the messenger of Yochanan, tell him that the deaf, you know, the, the deaf hear, the blind see, the leopards are cleansed, they understood that it was God who was the only one that had the ability to do that. Exactly. So he is, in essence, saying, yes, I am the Messiah, and yes, I am divine, because or because that was an okay perspective on Messiah at that time. Exactly right. So, so at what point in, in the history of the Bible do we see lepers? There's not a lot of lepers around. What's the first time we bump into lepers? Ken? Miriam. Miriam. So we're, you know, if, if you know our, our timeline, we start today, back up a thousand, you know, the common era where Rashi is, a thousand before that where the master is, a thousand before that where King David is, a thousand before that is Abraham, and right about the middle of that wall, we're at the, uh, we're at the mount. We receive the Torah, and we're starting to wander, and Miriam speaks up against Moses, and she is stricken with Zara'at. That's one. What's another time? Gehazi. Gehazi. Well, Naaman. Right. Naaman. And then Gehazi. You bet. Right. So we got a little transference. There is a you know, sad story, actually, isn't it? You got the great job of being number two to the guy. And now leprous. But that's actually in the middle of this wall. So roughly a thousand years later, um, we've got the. Actually, it's a little before that. Um, we've got leprosy showing up again. Um, he was healed, Naaman was. But what was unique about Naaman? He wasn't an Israelite. Was he wasn't an Israelite. In fact, it's even mentioned in the scripture, right? So, what did he do when he got healed? He brought back earth with him and said, I will worship your God. Mm-hmm. He seems to have. You know, been convinced to have some kind of relationship with Hashem, and he goes home. What about Miriam? Who healed Miriam? God, right? Hashem did. Okay. Do we? Is there anybody else? I'm, well, we've got, am I running out of lepers? Uzziah, doesn't he get stricken with leprosy? The king, he goes in the temple to offer something. Up right. He, That's good. That's good. And all of a sudden, the priests are like, "Oh, I know what that is." <laughs> did he get healed? Uh, no. No. Yeah. So, you got anybody else? I'm running out of leopards. One second. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, when we get to the days of the master. No, Ducking off Tar. Yeah, Tar. He has a couple of Oh, yeah, we got the leopards. Well, that's the same time. But they didn't get healed either. Right, but that's the same time as uh, uh, Naaman and, and all of that. It's in the same time period right there. It's in the time of the prophets. And yeah, we got the, the four leopards, right? We read about that this morning. The first kings, 
Four lepers or ten lepers? Three and ten. Four and ten. No, no, no. We're talking about the ones in the the half trough. The half trough. Four, right? The four guys. It's in uh, First Kings, Second Kings. But if you're talking about healing lepers, but they weren't healed, right? They've got leprosy. Where are they? Where do you put lepers? Outside. Outside of the town, right? Outside the community, outside the city, and that's where they are. The people inside are starving to death. The lepers aren't doing any better, and they figure, well, we should just. We should just go to the enemy that has us surrounded. We're under siege because we're going to die anyway. And they show up, and God has miraculously scared them off. But they don't get healed either. The only one that got healed so far is Miriam, who was used as an example. Don't talk against those. We'll, we'll get into that later. And this, this foreigner until the days of the Master. Now, we read in the Torah portion exactly what the priest had to do. Based on what we just said, from the time the Torah was given, how many times do you think the, the priest got a chance to do this deal? Maybe once? Maybe. Not often. You know, I'm thinking generationally, you got a bunch of priests whose dad's 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 dad may have once, but... Not that we record in the scripture. Well, I mean, even in the scripture, you could argue it's possible there may have only been Miriam. It, I'm assuming that they follow the directions with her. Because Naaman was not Jewish, so you kind of So he would just go home. He just bolted and went home. I mean, that's the So aside from Miriam, and I'm sure we've got Aaron is going to step in there. Yeah. But it doesn't appear to be anybody else until the days of the Master. Um, isn't there something else that we talked about in the Torah about leprosy in the walls? Absolutely. Somebody did. And we had that this morning. Yeah, we yeah. had that. But again, we don't have any historical evidence in the scripture that anybody had that, but perhaps. Yeah. So, what happens in the Master's Day? No, apparently we, we read it here. <laughs> yeah, Mark, was it Mark 2 you had us read? Mark 1. Let's, let's flip to Mark 1. Where, where was that, Jonathan? Mark 1, 35. Oh, is that the uh, Avon lady? It's the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. Perfect. They don't realize they're Come walking into a trap. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> it's fact. It's fact? Yes, you are. Cool. Can only hook a handgun. <laughs> Mark one thirty-five and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place. This is speaking of Yeshua, and there he prayed. And Shimon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, "Everyone's looking for you." And he said to them, "Let's go down, go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out." He went throughout all the Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him. God bless you. Imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, that's significant, and said to him, I will be, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Yeshua sternly charged him and sent him away at once, said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moshe commanded for a proof to them. But this guy goes out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Yeshua could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Can you imagine being priest on duty that day? <laughs> guy walks up. He's known as a leper. Guy walks up. He says, I need you to check me out. I'm clean. Really? I don't think I remember how to do that. <laughs> Got to get the book. Stand by. That's an amazing thing. Can you imagine what was going on in the priesthood chambers two hours later? <laughs> Guess what I got a chance to do today? Ah! The <laughs> uh, thought just occurred to me as we read that. He, could, he strictly said, don't tell anybody mm. and go keep the Torah of Moshe. And then, of course, God doesn't do that, and he's telling everybody, and he can't enter the city openly. Hmm. Now, you know, part of the context there seems to indicate that, you know, it says people were coming out to him. Yes. Right? Presumably, 
I would imagine other other lepers or other sickly people that right wanted a miracle. But the thought just occurred to me is the reason he could no longer enter the city openly is because he now, places now he he's the leper. Or he is perceived as potentially a leper yeah. because he touched one. Yeah. I wouldn't go that far. Um, I would say for those who, uh, I mean, this, this is rich, and, and uh, Gloria touched on it at the end of the service. So let's, let's, let's work that for a second. Um, I, I, so I don't think he's going to be leprous. But well, he's not obviously, but right. But the neat part is, but some, but this guy's outside. Yeah. Oh, this this, guy this guy's outside, right. and now he's he can go into the city, into the temple, and talk to the priest. Yeshua, who's inside, now has to be outside. So it's definitely right. the fact that the sages call him the leprous one, Messiah, the leprous one, really begins to fit here. And mm-hmm. if, if we're talking to somebody who's Jewish and understands that, I think it would be a great play. Do you think that he stayed outside the city because everybody was coming to him out of compassion so that he could heal them because they couldn't come into the city? It is possible, um, but it does say um, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. Well, right, Maybe because of the crowds. Yeah. But it's certainly if possible. all these people are coming from far and wide to see you, and you're in the city and they can't come in, that's... Nice. And he made it clear he came for the sick. Well, and that's no the, the the parable that that shows up in this uh, the the uh, rabbinic parable that shows up in this is there's um, I can't remember which sage it is now is wanting to know where is um, I think he goes to yeah. Elijah and he's yeah. like where's Messiah? He's, yeah. And he's like oh he's when, already, when is he coming? He's here. He's, he's already here. Yeah. And he's like. He's here. Where is he? And he's like, he's in the gates of Rome. But he, but he, he goes. He finds him with the lepers. He's with the healing le- lepers. Healing lepers. That's like the defining mark of who Messiah is. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about this passage too is that um, you noted the, the priesthood and him. He can go to the temple and all that stuff. What initially has to happen is somebody's got to go into the town, grab the local Levite. Drag or local Cohen, if there was one, hopefully, drag him out to the outskirts of the town, chit chat with the leper, do the whole little bird and blood and all that stuff. Then he can come back into the town, sit outside his house for a week, and only then can he go down to the temple and do the the rituals to finish his purification. Exactly. But on this point, it's interesting that he says to him, "Don't say anything," because leprosy is true rabbinically. Leprosy is perceived as a punishment for speaking lashon hara. You said you spoke slander. You said something bad about somebody, and now you're ill as a judgment on you because it's saying what you've done is you've created division and problems for the people. So we will divide you out from the rest of the community so you can't poison the community. We're going to cut the bad spot out of the banana. Yeah, and so in the sense it's interesting that Yeshua says, don't say anything and the guy goes in and starts saying stuff and then Yeshua is the one who's then treated almost like a leper. Exactly. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's a pretty good point and this is what Gloria was bringing out was that we've been, we were told in, the, in, the, in professing Christendom in, in the church that that Jesus had actually spoken against the Torah and had said, that was then, you don't have to do that stuff anymore. Well, this completely refutes that in a couple of ways. First, Yeshua actually tells this guy to go see the priest and to do what the priest tells you so that he could declare him clean. So I noticed a few things. First, he's supporting the Torah. Second, we also need to recognize that Yeshua does not have the power to declare the man clean. He can cleanse him, but he can't declare him clean. Only the Cohen can do that. And Yeshua was not a priest. priest, And and the uh, writer of Hebrews, as Ken just quoted, makes it clear. If he were here today, he wouldn't be a priest. So he can't declare him clean. Third point. I have heard people tell me that Yeshua actually broke the Torah. He broke the Sabbath, he did this. Well, they're reading the uninspired titles of the paragraphs, right? We know he kept the Torah. We know that he had to keep the Torah, or he would disqualify himself as the Messiah. So we know he did. Well, here's a neat thing. When you talk about getting a mikvah, or going through the baptismal font, as it were, some will tell you that, you know, when you try and talk to them about life around the temple that people got mikvot, went through the mikvot all the time, they'll, they'll try and tell you that first off, Yeshua didn't wear a seat, and no, he never did that mikvah stuff. Well, you know what? 
if he kept the Torah and he touched the leper, he had to get a mikvah that day. We know he wore zitzit because the woman with the issue of blood absolutely was healed by grabbing. She grabbed the Quranic passage because that's actually a sign of Messiah. That if you touch the corner of his garment where the zitzit is, there's healing in it. So we know that he got a mikvah that day because he was unclean until the end of the day, until the question evening. Is, that wasn't just an ordinary mikvah. He had to go through the waters of purification, right? Uh, I don't think. I don't think so. No, no, no. It's just a, just a wash. Yeah, yeah. That's, we just read that this morning. But what's so it's just, is, just go through the wash. You got washing the clothes. This week's Torah portion goes through several of the most intense unclean things. Yeah. Um, leprosy being tzarat being one of the biggest. Um, death is the only one that's not mentioned. But then you also have um, Nida and the, the woman with the issue of blood. Sorry. It's intriguing to see the Zabah, um, that Yeshua deals with all of these. He it is grabbed by the woman who has the issue of blood. He intentionally, on multiple occasions, touches lepers. And then he it also, on multiple occasions, actually touches the dead, or at the very least, walks into the house where they are, which would also render him unclean. Exactly. And it's kind of cool to see him... In this process, what ends up happening is there is a transference of the cleanliness factor. In order to make those people clean, Yeshua had to make himself unclean on their behalf, effectively. That's Which right. is kind of a cool issue, even you think about from us on a spiritual perspective. Yeshua's um, taking of our sin upon himself, in a sense, um, being that sin offering, uh, is also some of, that, some of the idea. He, he suffers on our behalf. So that we can be clean. Exactly right. And that that whole concept, uh, again, a, a lot of times there's a misconception that if you're unclean, you've committed a sin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that might be true. Your uncleanness might be the result of sin, but a lot of times it's not. And and a lot of times it's actually a great mitzvah to be unclean. A couple of examples. If you are part of the Hebron Kadisha, the burial society, that is a great mitzvah because it's a great service that you're performing for the community. But guess what? You're unclean a lot of the time. Yeah, or if you bury the guy. Right. And you know, I was telling people, you know, just for Pesach, what was it two days before Pesach, Pete and I went up because Johnny's father had passed away. And I was asked to carry the casket. Mm. Boom! Unclean. Glad we're not in the temple. Pesach Shani would have some new meaning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, uh, the ashes of the red heifer, the, pl- the priest is pure. You have to have a pure priest to oversee the service, and then he becomes impure as Just a result. By, by helping. But the ashes purify, right? Exactly. So you have, you have that. And, um, and, and also, that's, that's the picture of uh, Moshe's hand is symbolizing the hand of God that is Messiah. So the first time the Messiah comes out, he is the luckiest one. The second time he comes out, he's Oh, that's good. Did everybody hear that? Did you get that? I forgot that. When he's saying that the hand of God, the hand of Moses represents Messiah. And the first time he takes his hand out, it's leprous. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Oh, man. How cool is that, huh? And the second time, it's not. And then in, in, in the sages pick up on that notion because the whole idea of the Messiah being the leprous one is discussed in Tractate Sanhedrin, I believe it's chapter, uh, uh, 31a, I think if I remember correctly, where they talk about the Messiah being the leprous one and they link it to Isaiah 53. Mm-hmm. Ah. So there it is. Cool. The reason the, re- the reason why I brought this book up is because this is the concealed light names of Messiah in Jewish sources. So they come up with the names based on the text, just like that. Yes, ma'am. I just wanted um, before you went on that verse. Um, see that you say nothing to to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing. What Moses commanded for a testimony to them. Uh, that's what caught my eye. Mm-hmm. What Moses commanded often in the church you know, is, is We're done with Moses. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the Old Testament it has nothing to do with us today, but even Messiah himself said to do what Moses commanded. Mm-hmm. So I mean for, that's the first time I ever saw that. Praise God. That's why we go through this every year. Um, um, when we're talking about healing lepers, one of the other stories that we didn't read through in this week's uh, 
gospel reading is Yeshua and the ten lepers. Yes. And he shows up and he heals all ten of them and nine bolt off to go find the, the closest Cohen and only one comes back and expresses his thanks to the master. And he's not even Jewish and there does all that whole thing. Uh, he's a Samaritan, um, I believe. And it's um, traditionally it's been rendered kind of like they were so excited and enthusiastic that basically they just kind of all bolted off and forgot to say thank you. You know, like some sort of, you know, um, bratty children or something. Uh, but another perspective that I hadn't thought about until this year reading the portion is this, the sages note that the, the Cohen has to come down in that day to declare the leopard clean. So they say that a leopard could only be cleansed when it was daylight. That if it, like if, it, if the leopard tried to find a Cohen at nighttime, he'd have to wait till dawn, I guess, to be declared clean. So in a sense, like there was a real time crunch for these guys to go and find some dude to go into the town and find the nearest Cohen to come tell him to come out and let's you know have our little chat, check me out, look at my arms, okay, I'm good. You know, all of this stuff has to happen. So the guy who comes back to say thank you was potentially jeopardizing like an entire 24-hour period where he could have gone home to see his family or could have done a lot of different things because um, in order to express his thanks and uh, thankfulness to Yeshua. So I think that that's an interesting point. Again, it's like sometimes you, you can study the scriptures. You don't see the full impact or significance of what's being talked about until you uh, know what the Torah is saying. Amen. The, um, the guy, the, the, the leper, can go into town. He's put out of the community, but he can walk into the town. That's how the woman with the with the twelve year bleeding got into town. It's not like there's a gate that they can't get through. I don't think they, they can. can't. They can't. Like They've got to do the tome thing, tome thing, covering up to their upper lip. They can't do that. They're they're ejected. People don't want to see him, and they put him out. No question. But they definitely can't get into the temple. So even if the guy did. You know, run into the town, or you know, if he's in Jerusalem, run in to try and get to the town. He's going to stop at the temple gates. He's got to get, as Joshua said, somebody at some point to help him find a cone, even if he comes into the town, which was fed or both then. Another story that we did read, at least I don't think it was part of any of these, was that Yeshua eats at Shimon the leper's house. Which oh yeah, is would obviously it's, that's an oxymoron, right? Yeah, it would, yeah, a leper wouldn't have a house in the town, so obviously it must be somebody who he cleansed, right? And he's now able to return home, but it had been a leper so long, so long that he's got the name. I should know the leper. That's really cool. That is cool, isn't it? He's been a leper so long, everybody knows him as Shimon the leper. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, at first, I was thinking, or maybe the house was. Let's take a little uh, break from this just to make sure that we're all on the same sheet of music because we're all at different places in this love, lovely and wonderful walk with God and His Word. Uh, I'm reading from a book called The Jewish Gospels by Daniel Boyerin, and I'm on uh, page 79 where he's, got, he's going through the kosher laws and trying to demonstrate that Yeshua kept kosher. And then in Mark chapter 7, he's talking about the bathroom, not about declaring all foods clean. And, and I think we're all uh, up on that. But he makes a statement here. Um, and I'll just give you a little bit so you get some context here. Uh, while all Jews are forbidden always to eat pork, lobster, milk, and meat together and meat that has not been properly slaughtered, only some Jews, some of the time, are forbidden to eat kosher food that has become contaminated with ritual impurity. While in English, these are sometimes confused, the system of purity and impurity laws and the system of dietary laws are two different systems. And we normally don't see them as two different things. Mark, who he's looking at in the Gospel, and Yeshua knew the difference. One of the biggest obstacles obstacles to this understanding has been in the English use of the words clean and unclean to refer both to the laws of permitted and forbidden foods and to the laws of pollution or impurity and purity. Mm. These translate two entirely different sets of Hebrew words, mutar and tahor. It would be better to translate the first set, the kosher laws, as permitted and forbidden, and use clean and unclean or pure and impure only for the latter stuff. Okay? So, 
I bring that up so that we recognize that, as, uh, as Greg's already mentioned, if you are a dad and you run over a snake on your driveway and kill it, and you want to pick up the snake and throw him in the trash can or out in the woods, you just became unclean. Tame. Why? You just touched death, right? Was it a sin? Was there a sin anywhere? No. No. Okay. If you eat food that is not permitted, like shrimp, are you now unclean? Yes. 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 You are unclean until sundown, until the next day. Okay? Is that a sin? Yes. Being unclean? No. Eating a shrimp? Yes. That was wrong. The irony is you're actually more unclean picking up the snake yes. than you were eating the shrimp. Exactly right. What you can do when you're unclean, depending on the uncleanness, is what we're talking about. How you got there is a different story entirely. If you touch death, or you talk, touch someone who has the walking death, zara'at, then you are unclean, and it's it's a big time unclean, right? It's it's more than I think I had. I think I had shrimp in an egg roll. Nuts. Come sundown, you're good. Okay, are we clear? Can you see the difference between forbidden and permitted foods versus clean and unclean? They're two different things. One determines sin, what we can and cannot do, and one determines where we can go and with whom we can go. And what we can touch. And what we can touch. And that's and that's what one we of the can eat. Well, then what we get, yeah. Because one of the factors that comes into play here too, and it's also not relevant really without the temple, is that there were certain tithes and things that were going to be offered as offerings, but you couldn't like you had to hold on to them until the time of the offering presentation. Right. Because so, prior to that, it wasn't permitted. Yeah, because, well, you're not supposed to give it, but at certain times of the year. Right. So if you were a farmer and you had, you know, this X amount of crop and you were storing it to take it to the temple in the next time to present the tithe, well, that whole time that it's being stored, if you were unclean, you weren't supposed to wander in there and, like, start digging through it because that was, okay, that's a different issue. Then if you had, there's a whole bunch of these different examples. Um different offerings and different types of things. So there's even different layers where like, well, the woman can't eat an offering, but she can touch the tithe if she's got this level of uncleanness, exactly. not this one, but, exactly. you know. It's, so. it's, it's an amazingly rich and complex set of rules. So in the situation of touching a dead snake, you're yeah. now unclean. Correct. In our current time, you're, obviously you're, you're still you're unclean, and it would be a responsibility to stay away from you're all, We're all unclean. You have no temple, there's nothing you can do. And, and it's important to note that the they call it tuma is the word, and they say I the idea of like contagious contamination, where like I'm unclean, I touch you, now you're unclean too. There are very few, very few situations where that's actually possible. Right. You can't pick up a dead thing or touch a dead person. That doesn't make you contagious, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you are a zarat, a metzara, or if you are like a woman who's in nida, or a couple, there's a couple of them, then yes, now you can spread it around. One level. And actually, in some cases, um, there are times where it can be spread in multiple levels. Like, let's say a, a, a mouse dies, falls into a pot, inside the pot was corn. Well, the mouse, dead mouse, made the pot unclean, and the, the pot then made the corn unclean. But Sometimes. It can. It's depending so on how, how big dep- a mouse was. Depending on a whole bunch of different factors. The point <laughs> being... True, and I'm not trying... And, and, and I think the, the important thing to come out of all of this is um, not to get overwhelmed by the nuance of it because I think that part of the idea in this, the reason why it's so complicated, is I think that God is trying to teach us there is a ton that we do not understand that is happening in the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, Joshua, that's a great way of putting it. And I, I think the best way to, to try and picture it in your mind, if you will, is with blue paint. And that's how I do it. There's a woman in, in Nida. She sits on that sofa. Anyone who sits on that sofa turns blue. She's already blue. <laughs> you see what I'm doing? 
That's cute. Yeah. If she touches somebody, you're blue. But if you touch a guy that sat on the couch, you don't turn blue. Because it's too far away. If you eat the corn with the mouse, the dead mouse, do you turn blue? You see? But the, the bottom line is, in all of it, we're all unclean. There is no way to become, because we're all ritually come, came in contact with death. We need the ashes of the red heifer. We need the mikvah. We need the temple. We need all of that stuff, and we can't do that. And that's separate from eating unclean food, where you have to wait till evening? Or? Anything. You're already so far gone. There's nothing you can do. I am not advocating that you just throw out all of the cleanliness laws, which is not having to do with clean versus dirty. But... I got you both. I'm not talking about forsaking those laws. I'm just saying there's no way you can fix it right, right. now. Now, there are some who would teach, since you can't fix it, don't even learn it. I think that's stupid. I think we have to learn it. Because when he comes back, he's going to expect that we know it. We're going to have a long well, list talk of stuff about, we got to Talk about acting like a Gentile. <laughs> what are you doing? You can't You know. We need to know it. We need to learn it. We need to be familiar with it. And the more we live by it, whether it's actually applying or not, is irrelevant. Right? Have you? Uh, one. Okay. You just hit on what I was going to say, which is even though it's true that we are all Tameh, unclean, and there is no way that we can become clean without uh, ashes of the red heifer, uh, it's, I think it's, it's important for us as a Messianic community to learn to be sensitive to Tameh and Tahor. Mm-hmm. You know, the, ch- the church totally, I mean, it, I mean, they don't even give it a thought. Right? I mean, they, they don't understand it, you know. And they don't want to. And they probably don't want to. Um, and I think I think there's great value in learning to be sensitive, recognizing that there's limitations on what we can do about it, right? But it's still good to be sensitive to it because we will. At some point, there will be a temple standing. Amen. And it will matter, and we need to, we need to understand it. And I know for example, in the case of Nidah, I mean, in, in a lot of Orthodox communities, a woman who's Nidah does not go to shul. Out of, not not because it would necessarily be, quote-unquote, forbidden strictly according to the Torah, but that's just how they practice the sensitivity of Tamei and Tahor. They're not going to go to shul, um, you know, because of that. That's and, also and, one and of the reasons... they training their kids so that they understand it as well. Right. So they've got that multi-generational understanding of Tamei and Tahor. Right. So, anyway. Good. Thanks. Yes, sir. I was going to say that while with, well, I'm pretty much a guarantee everyone has to come in contact with death or we would be in, uh, unclean. Um, That's what the sages say. But there are actual societies of Hasidic Jews, even in Israel today, that are trying to basically guard and uh, raise up the next generation of Kohanim, saying, True. you are a priest, since you've been born, you haven't come in contact with any death, right. and in good faith, we're going to make sure you don't enter a hospital, don't don't uh, visit a graveyard, or you're not going to talk to women, you're not going to touch women, you know, things things like that, so in, in order to... Uh, Be prepared. Exactly. So, so, so it is possible in this day and age, especially, to to pro- prolong your exposure. Yeah. To, I, no, no question. And a, and a good point you raise. I'm talking about your average concert piece, like Gentile. All bets are off. Um, there is a uh, an Orthodox rabbi here in town who made it clear to me that since he is a priest, he's of that line. He can only go into one hospital in this town. Uh, it's not called Mercy South now. What is it? CMC Pineville. CMC Pineville. Because the morgue is in the big hospital part and not where they have the babies. There's a, there's a door between those two buildings. There's a little tunnel way and you know, a doorway. And the door is normally locked. So he's, he can go in to see the babies being born, but he still remains clean. He's never been in a building with a dead body. And he's very sensitive to that. So... Yes. Another thing about studying the laws and being sensitive to it, I think there's two factors. One thing is, um, I think it's fascinating that we just spent one of the longest double portions you're going to get. It at least yes. it certainly seemed that way to a degree. It's a lot of content. Were you bored this morning? No. <laughs> my, point, my point is, though, that it's a lot of content, though. It's a lot for something you'll never 
potentially ever deal with. And, and not just like we'll never deal with, but like we went through the examples. It almost never happened. Yes. So why would God put this much detail in? And I think that part of it, my, my dad was talking about, was the significance of this passage and linking it to Messiah. Yes. So, and we see from Yeshua's, we, we just went through like three or four different examples of Yeshua dealing with lepers. Or that's more than like you have the entire rest of the Torah. That's right. So the point being that we, it's some of the stuff is preparation that you may not necessarily see now or do now. The other factor, and something I think is really important about being sensitive to clean and unclean, even if it doesn't change what you do, because, I mean, you know, if I get unclean, what do I do about it? And what, what does it prevent me from doing to a degree? At the same time, the sensitivity helps you to see things a little bit more from God's perspective. So the fact that I know uh, that, you know, touching the dead squirrel makes me unclean may not change my practical approach to the fact that, well, I still need to pick it up and throw it away. But it will affect the fact that I realize, oh, this is death. This is significant. Yes. This is not just a dead squirrel in the back of my yard. It's a nuisance. Something important just happened. And the same thing happens with Nida. The same thing happens when you have a baby. The same thing is being dealt with with all of the stuff that we read in today's portion that had to do with Sarat. Same thing. All of a sudden you start thinking, okay, it doesn't change anything that happened, like practically speaking necessarily, but it definitely is supposed to change the way that I view it. Amen. That's exactly what it is. Well, and, and but the other real practical application of, of this whole discourse on Zarat is the connection to Lashon Hara. Mm-hmm. And that is something we cannot lose sight of at all because that does affect us, right? Whether, whether you know, uh, while we may never come in contact with a physical leper, you know, as it were, you know, as, as we see in the scripture, the fact that the disease was, it's understood to have been brought on by somebody who was committing the sin of gossip and slander and similar type, types of things. And so the, there's a very uh, great spiritual application mm-hmm. to our lives in this in this portion mm-hmm. on a number of levels. And, and that's the key takeaway is we must guard what we say about others. We cannot, we don't have the luxury to just you know, just kind of babble on about anyone or any particular thing without thinking about it. Um, He's thinking about it. That's. <laughs> I would. I would really like, as a community, if we were as sensitive to that as maybe Miriam was a week after. <laughs> you know. We, we really shouldn't. And I think the, the way Rick put it in one of his... Uh, um, okay. uh, the podcast? The, no, not the podcast. The, the newsletter thing he sends out. Uh, Marines Online deal, you know, the weekly deal. Um, the way he put it was... Uh, um, I, I remembered how he put it just a second ago. <laughs> I can't remember how he put it, but... Um, but it'll come to me. Uh, but as a community, I, I would like us to step up there and to help one another. And we're working on, a, on that in our family uh, because we're Italian and we tend to talk a lot. Um, let me rephrase that. We're Italian and we tend to talk too much. Um, I know, it's hard to believe. Um, <laughs> but, uh, oh yeah, uh, the way Rick put it was uh, something along the lines of we... We use the opportunity to pray for someone and sharing a prayer request in a very loose kind of way in order to just share, you know, what's going on. And, and that's really unnecessary. Uh, so I would like it if, if um, forget you people, just work, help me. You know? So if I'm talking about someone and it's not in a, kind of the, the, what we're looking at is if it's not going to leave the other person that I'm talking with with a better view of that individual, is there really any reason why I should be going through it? Now, that, that's a high bar, right? We can't talk about whether or not Greg looks good in the beard anymore. It's, it's irrelevant. I think he looks great in the beard. But I, we can't talk about that, right? You know, we, we can't talk about whether or not Greg was here to pray two weeks ago. It, 
We don't need to talk about that. Now, if Greg wasn't here probably two weeks ago because he was caring for his wife and he chose one mitzvah over another and it was really great, that might be a real good reason. But now I got a question, well, what am I talking about anyway? Why am I even bringing it up? So for me, it just makes me just stand there like an idiot and not say anything. So, um, But anyway, if you would work and help me, um, I'll, I'll make fun of you whenever you do it. And one thing I'm, I'm oh, noticing, um, the more I think about this and the more that I get exposed to the world, I, I spent couple years, worked several years working with a Christian organization where thankfully it was a little bit better on this issue, but working in a very secular work environment, you find that this is perhaps one of the biggest failings in our society today. The water cooler. I mean, well, not just the water cooler. I mean, all the time. It's like there's nothing else to talk about, but, you know, whatever. So the point being is that if you want to stand out, if you want to be, I mean, have it, Talk about being perceived as someone with a good nature and a good mood all the time because you're not complaining and, and upset about all the stuff that people did or didn't do or exactly. whatever. So, um, I mean, it's a big deal. And in this passage, it teaches us uh, how serious God sees this issue. I mean, you think about the amount of stuff that happens. The the guy who's doing really badly in this issue and doesn't repent, well, potentially has his house torn down. I mean, you talk about, like, clothing that gets affected. I mean, they, they, they even to the point where at, at the end of the, the ritual with the house and also with the Metzorah, you know, a bird's got to die. Yeah. So, I mean, the point is that death gets introduced even into this. You're right. So it's a huge deal to God. It's doing all sorts of poisonous stuff. And it's like I said earlier, I think part of the reason for the detail that doesn't, it's not explained I think God wants us to, to leave us with a sense of awe and say, God, there must be stuff going on in the universe that I cannot comprehend with my own you know, scientific, logical mind, and I'm just going to have to trust you that what you say is a big deal really is a big deal. Well, I mean, does God care about what I eat? I, I think he does. Can I... If, if, if that's... I mean, if he's concerned about what goes in my mouth... Why are we surprised that he's concerned about what comes out of my mouth? If, if me keeping the commandments is to set me apart and glorify him, how much more am I set apart when I don't do what other people do? Yes, sir. I think another cool thing, reason for a lot of the detail, too, in this one, I think the Ramban had showed how you, when you do speak Lashon Hara first, God kind of warns you by having something weird show up on your house, and then it gets even closer, and it gets on your clothing, and then it gets even closer, and it's on your skin, and it's sort of this progression, yeah. almost like a warning, yeah. like, watch it, you need to repent of this. And, and if you do, the, the priest can help by like tearing that piece out of the garment. Exactly. If I'm wearing my ACDC t-shirt, do you think that the, the, the stuff would be right there on the... Anyway. Well, it, it's just so cool, too, because then you see Yeshua actually heal, heal someone of somebody that has it on their skin. And if you took that approach, that means they're pretty he, he far at the end at of the road. Yeah. Exactly. But there's still that compassion and mercy coming from Yeshua and being able to erase all the sins. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. I almost use what you just said in reverse to my Gentile brothers and sisters that, that uh, when they say, I can sit and eat my pork chop, but I'm not going to talk about my neighbor. And it's almost like, well, if you're if God's concerned about what comes out of your mouth, mm-hmm. isn't God concerned what goes in your mouth? Praise God. Good. So, because, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like we don't have to worry about that anymore. Well, did you not know that the Torah talks about what comes out of your mouth? Yeah. And you're keeping that. Yeah. But you're not keeping the other. Exactly. <laughs> you know, Jerry, I, th- I think and, uh, if there's anything that's that's become amazing to me, it's that it's not just my work life and my personal life really shouldn't be different. The same guy in this house should be the same guy at the office. That came early on for me. But to realize that he actually cares about everything I do, everything, and has actually written down most of it as far as what to do and what not to do is extraordinary. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Leviticus 14.
in verse 33. Leviticus 14 and verse 33. And I just, I, I just need to take a, a moment to, to just express my absolute delight that Jonathan Upping is our goodbye. I mean, isn't he just in, incredible? Yeah. I mean, God bless him. God bless him. He takes the time to figure out who should read what, when, older guys, younger guys, which woman to come up, and it, it's, I'm impressed. Hey, Joe, Joe, I'm sorry for us ignorant people. He's our what? He's our goodbye. Um, I act as cousin with his dad. Um, the cousin is the guy that just kind of keeps everybody on the same sheet of music during the prayers. So we'll pray silently a paragraph. Then I come in at the end to make sure we're all at the end of that paragraph. Then we go into the next one. So uh, I'm just kind of keeping everybody in there and, and trying to make sure we've got some kavanah, some intention to our prayers. Um, when we're done with the shakari prayer service, we roll right into the Torah service where we call the guys up and everything. And Greg is the chazan during that part. And his son, Jonathan, is our gabai. The gabai is the guy that stands up there and literally calls the men up to make aliyah, to come up to the Torah and to read. So he calls them up formally. He shows them where the spot is. He helps the person if they're fumbling through their blessing. He watches to make sure that they're correct in what they're reading out loud to the people. And then when they're done, he helps them through their blessing if they need. And then he blesses God. He blesses them. He blesses the individual for honoring God, His Word, and Shabbat. And you, you need to come and watch it. It is, it is I have to say, an amazing thing. It's a blessing, Lord, to have that opportunity. It's a blessing to learn from Peter as well. <laughs> Our first goodbye. Uh, it's, it, it blesses me a lot. <laughs> Thank you, and I appreciate you bringing up that I used a word that wasn't uh, wasn't well defined. All right, so uh, are you you stretching that arm? Or are you about to ask a question? No, question no just no question here. Because <laughs> if we're if we're in the if we're in the auction, you would have just bought the house. Can I read this, or you're in the middle? You have to move on.